Tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts, included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or visit amazon.com slash comedy ad free. That's amazon.com slash comedy ad free. And catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And here's your prescription. I know just the pharmacy to get this filled. Who are you? A pharmacy benefit manager. A middleman your insurer uses to decide which medicines you can get, what you pay, and sometimes even which pharmacy you should go to. Why can't I go to a pharmacy in my neighborhood? Because I make more money when you go to a pharmacy I own. <laughs> no one should stand between you and your medicine. Visit phrma.org slash middleman to learn more. Paid for by Pharma. If you having pop problems, I feel bad for you, son. I got 10 problems, but, but an FA1. <laughs> we have a lot of other problems, like the fact that it's 9 o'clock. The fact that it's 9 o'clock on Wednesday, so <laughs> <laughs> this drops in literally, what? Three hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could be an episode problem, and another problem is the fucking neon sign. The numbers, guys. Oh, shit. I can't wait till you see the one that's about to come out tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. be like, where the hell did they get this? <laughs> All right, well, guys, we have to do a really quick intro because our stories are long, but they are good and they are creepy. Yeah, we so, really went all out for our 10th episode for you guys. So be freaking ready. Taylor, what are you drinking? I am drinking my Montaigne uh, sparkling oh water God. from Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm drinking the grapefruit peach, but this time, because I decided not to take the medicine again <laughs> for the 13th week in a row. Yeah. Um, Nikki, I know you already know what your medicine I'm talking about, and I know you're dying laughing right now. Um, but <laughs> it is mixed with a, um, a shooter of Tito's and a little bit of crayon. What are you drinking? Corona seltzer, cherry with cranberry juice, and then Taylor's pouring her shooter into hers. I'm like, oh, I want some of that. And she's like, okay. Guys, she pours like 95% into her drink and then just trickles 5% into mine. She's like, all right, here, here you go. I'm like, well, shit. Yeah, yep. Whatever. Um. If you guys, if this is your first time listening, I'm Taylor. I'm Morgan. Thank you guys so much for listening to us. You should probably start from episode one, though, if you're grabbing on right here, just because we say a lot of stuff referencing our other ones, and you wouldn't get the inside jokes, but hey, we're happy to have you either way. Um, If you guys like us, please rate and review, because that is the fastest way for us to grow on the charts on any of the um, podcast apps that you use, so... Make sure you do that. If you have a creepy account, which you guys can listen to our creepy accounts volume one and two to kind of get a gist of what those are. Those are any murder stories, alien abductions, paranormal, or honestly anything that has been creepy that has happened to you or a family or a friend. You can send those in to us at creepsincrimespodcast at gmail.com. Yep. Or even like a stalker. Ooh, that'd be a good one. Oh, if you have a stalking story, send it in. Do you remember that stalking story about the woodlands? <gasps> oh. We need Lexi Green. If you're listening to this, you better text us the story right now. I know she knows what it is. Listen. It was her roommate, wasn't it? Oh, wait. Was it her roommate? Oh, no. The neighbor. Okay. It was her neighbor. Okay. Anyways, guys. And then also, if you don't already, follow us on Instagram. At, oh, did you say where to send their creeps and crimes to? 
They're creepy accounts yes, too. Yes. Okay. Um, if you don't already follow us on Instagram at Creeps and Crimes Podcast, and you can follow my personal one, Taylor J with an A. And mine is more.m, double the G. Double the G, baby. All right, Morgan. If you're driving, throw that shit on cruise control. If you got a glass, pour that shit up. And let's get motherfucking crazy. <laughs> For episode 10, baby. All right, so after a quick chug sesh um, <laughs> in a little bit of a choking session, uh, we're ready to tell the story. Huh? That sounds dirty. Um, <laughs> yes, I'm ready. Let's go. All First right, off, I cannot believe we're at 10 episodes. I cannot believe we're at 10 episodes. Actually, we're at like 13. Yeah, really? 14. Because we have two creepy accounts and one bonus. Yeah. Oh, well, whatever. This one's the real ep 10, so listen up, folks. 10 Thursdays. 10 Thursdays. Damn, y'all rock. It's like a goddamn career. Y'all rock. Can you guys help us get paid? All right. (laughs) (laughs) So, guys. We have to help ourselves first. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) Shout it down. (laughs) So, guys, today I am going to tell you the story of Dear David. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. I'm so excited for this. I'm going to be completely honest. Um, I couldn't find a subject for the week. And I literally had to text Taylor in a panic and was like, dude, give me a subject. She immediately sent me an episode from That's Why We Drink. Um, and was like, dude, dear David. After listening to them for literally about two minutes once they started the story, I was like, holy shit. Like, I know this story. I, mm-hmm. I followed this story along. And... Let me tell you guys, it gets fucked up. So you may have heard the story or know the story, especially if you're a trip, twit, twit. Hello? <laughs> especially if you're a Twitter thread addict like ourselves. Yes. Or a Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> or a Reddit whore. Or a Reddit whore. Um, anyway. So the story of Dear David. This was a trip. Why can't I say the word Twitter. This was a Twitter thread from Adam Ellis. Adam Ellis was a worker for BuzzFeed, just a fun fact. And this story started with one sleep paralysis dream. And Adam was like, yep, I'm tweeting every single thing that happens to me here on out because that shit was freaky. So my sources for this Twitter thread are Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) You can find Adam Ellis's account and his at name is at Moby Dickhead underscore between. Um... Another source is That's Why We Drink Podcast, episode 108, and Bustle.com, which Bustle has a congregation of Adam's thread about his haunting. So I kind of honestly went off that for the most part because I had a hard time finding his actual Twitter thread. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go about the story by reading through his thread, and most tweets have pictures, so I'm going to, we'll just try to. Um, We'll put them on our Instagram. Yeah, you can. Well, we'll do the main ones on the Instagram. Okay, Like yeah. the crazy, crazy ones and on the Instagram. anytime I'm reading a direct tweet, I'll say tweet before I read. Just so I don't have to say, like, direct tweet, direct tweet. Right, so I'll say tweet and read. All right. So Adam's story started out on August 7th, 2017. His first tweet. So my apartment is currently being haunted by the ghost of a dead child, and he's trying to kill me. A threat. First time I saw him, I was experiencing sleep paralysis and saw a child sitting in the green rocking chair at the foot of my bed. First off, of course, it's fucking sleep paralysis. Mm. Of course it is. Can't wait to get it tonight. Yeah, she's sleeping by herself tonight. (laughs) (laughs) So during the dream, the child stood up out of the green rocking chair. He began stumbling towards Adam, who couldn't do anything because he was paralyzed. But Adam had found himself waking up just seconds before the kid was able to reach him. 
Tweet, he had a huge misshapen head that was dented on one side. I did my best to draw it. So then on this tweet, Adam inserts a drawing of a child who looks like a it looks like a giant chunk had been taken out of the left side of his head. He has like bumps all over him and very few hairs on his head. Taylor, picture. <laughs> it looks like something from Ed and Nettie. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> Forgot about that show. Um, then Adam has another dream, a few nights after his first paralysis, but this one was with a little girl telling him he was seeing Dear David. Tweet. I had another dream a few nights later where I was in a library and a girl came up to me and said, you've seen Dear David, haven't you? I was like, who? And she said, Dear David, you saw him. Adam continues saying that this young girl told him David was dead and then states rules that you have to follow while interacting with David. Um, something to note here is that David only comes at midnight. So the rules, you may ask, because I don't know, maybe you want to risk your damn life. Um, they are these. First rule, if you see him, you can ask only two questions. The second rule, you must start the questions by saying, Dear David. Third rule is to not ask him a third question, and David will kill you if you do proceed past the two questions. Ooh. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> That's scary. A few more nights go by, and Adam has another dream in which David appeared. Tweet. In the dream, I say, Dear David, how did you die? He mumbles, an accident in a store. I say, dear David, what happened in the store? He groans. A shelf was pushed on my head. I'm frozen with fear. I ask, who pushed the shelf? David doesn't answer. I realize that I've asked a third question, which I'm not supposed to do. At that point, I wake up absolutely terrified. There's there's three rules, dude. Bro, like, she literally just told you the rules. The night before. Of course this man does this. I ask, I tell Logan, Logan, whatever you do, don't play video games when we're recording. Literally last night, I could not get him to play a video game to save my life. Because all I wanted to do was watch Virgin River. And what did he do? No, I don't want to. I want to sit here with you. And talks to me the entire time. Then, what's that, what going on right now, Morgan? That's video games. So, Be yeah. by Logan. <laughs> Anyway, so he also didn't say Dear David, which I don't know, maybe prevented him from dying. Maybe. Because he didn't ask the third question. I can't believe Dear Dear David David talked to him since he didn't. Yeah. Well, no, after he asked the third question without saying Dear David, he didn't get a response and he woke up. So the next day, Adam finds himself on Google searching around for kids named David who died in New York in a store by being crushed by a shelf, and he found nothing. Shortly after all of this, the apartment above him was empty, so Adam moved upstairs. He forgets about David as a whole and mentions that maybe David lost track of where Adam was because he moved. But dude, you moved one story up. Yeah, it's just one right above where you were. So... Now, okay, setting now, David, or not David, sorry, Adam is in the same building, just one floor up. Another tweet. Lately, something strange is happening. For the past four nights, my cats gather at the front door at exactly midnight and just stare at it, almost like something is on the other side. I don't know about you, I'm going to take a wild guess and say that it's David. Hi, David. Um, He has a picture with these tweets of his two cats crouched low in front of the door as if they were looking underneath of it. And people always trust your fucking cats. We always said it once. We'll say it again. Trust your cats. 
During this time, Adam thought it would be a good idea to look through the peephole, and he swears he saw something move. Tweet, when I opened the door and turned the hall light, nothing was there, but my cat seemed unnerved. Bushy tails, etc. And that's where I am right now. Dear David found me, I think. I don't know what to do. I'll keep you updated. So all of those above tweets were tweeted on August 7th, the original day. Come August 9th, he posts an update. Update. For the sixth night in a row, my cat has walked over to the door promptly at midnight and stared at it. This was tweeted at 12.09 a.m., and the picture is of his cat looking up at the door, and Adam is holding a clock in the photo that reads 12.05 to show the time of the picture. And guys, at this point, Adam had gained a lot of um, following with this Twitter thread. Like, I'm not kidding you, the beginning of the thread has, like, over a million people that had interacted with it. What year did this happen? Okay. Yeah. So this was in 2017. Um, So three minutes later, Adam tweets a video and says, what is going on? In this video, his cat is meowing and trying to like kind of shove its face in between the crack of the door. This video is about 45 seconds long and the cat doesn't lose focus from the door. At 1226 a.m., Adam took a photo through the peephole and then he opened the hallway door and took another photo. Um, The first photo, which was the peephole photo, You can kind of see like a black gray shadow lurking behind the banister. And the original photo where he opened the door and took a picture, there was no black shadow. So he kind of thought that maybe it was just a smudge or something. So at 1229, Adam took another photo through the peephole to eliminate that and tweeted it comparing it to the original peephole. So now Adam has two peephole pictures. Um, in the second peephole photo, the shadow behind the stairway banister is gone. He tweeted, I deadbolted the lock and got in bed because I don't know what else to do. I can still hear my cat meowing at the door. I am pretty scared. So he tweeted this with a picture of him in his bed and his other cat staring at him with glowing green eyes, which I would assume is from just like the flash, the reflection of the flash. So people were replying, asking questions and just kind of about like how Adam housing was set up and he said that he lives in a house that is a duplex so it's an old house converted into two apartments that night adam decided to download a sleep talk app to record any sounds throughout the night he tweets a selfie of him with his two cats still staring underneath the door and he says that the cats routinely go to the door every night at midnight so now it's in routine adam also attempted to draw a line of protection in front of the door with salt because Twitter followers were suggesting that he do so in his reply of his thread. Tweet, this was kind of funny. He said, I don't even know if this is the right kind of salt. And this had a picture of like a sea salt container that he went out and bought at like Kroger or Walmart or something. (laughs) And a line of salt by the door and the cat was sniffling or sniffing the salt. So that's all Adam had tweeted for that night. And things didn't really, you know, start to pick up until August 11th. His first tweet on August 11th said, I used an app to record my apartment last night. It makes individual recordings each time and hears something. There were 33 recordings. Out of the 33 recordings, only one played a loud electrical sound that wasn't there before. And then there was one sound that sounded like like snapping. And then another sound that sounded like a single step. Step. I don't know why I just mumbled that. Well, and she stomped her foot. I was trying to give you guys the effect. I almost snapped too. So following the electric static, you hear another snap, and then you hear Adam groan in his sleep. All of these sounds happen between 2 to 3 a.m. 
on August 12th, Adam tweeted out, getting the F out of my haunted apartment for the weekend with a selfie of Adam holding up a peace sign. He is dead ass like, you know, deuces motherfucker. <laughs> so I made the fuck out of here. So the sound spooked him. He left. One Twitter follower stated that there was a face in the glass paneling behind him in his selfie. So I'll show you this picture. But honestly, I couldn't see the face. Yeah, I can't see it either. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't either, but some people swore they did. So anyway, this is kind of one of my favorite parts of the story. Um, two days later, Adam buys a Polaroid camera because he says they are fun and dorky. He decided to take a few photos around his apartment. To be specific, it was an Instax Max Mini 9, which we all know. If yeah. you're a girl on here, you, you, know you have one. Um, so first he started off by taking a few photos of his door his bedroom, and they developed just fine. The photo of his bedroom documented the green rocking chair he first saw the boy in, which you can see in these photos that I'll show you in a second. And he took a photo of his fully lit hallway just after midnight. And he got spooked because the picture of the hallway developed completely black. He thought he had his finger over the lens So he took another photo of his finger over the lens and compared the two. There's a huge difference, so it ruled out that that was the case. So people were saying it's fake, so he decided, okay, I'll take a video of myself taking a picture of the lit-up hallway. And this also developed black again. Oh, my God. So someone suggested that Adam takes a photo inside his apartment with his door open. So at this point now, the hallway's out there, like the entrance to his apartment. He has that door open. Light on out there, light on out there. He did. As soon as I looked at this picture, I freaked out. Um, The room is lit, and the hallway is lit. But in the photo, the room is lit. The hallway is pitch fucking black. Oh, my God. So people started talking about, or started taking Adam's Polaroid pictures, and they're running them through editing apps, changing the exposure and whatnot, and... In the Polaroid of the hallway door wide open that was originally black was lightened and it showed a black figure standing and staring at the camera. And again, these were his followers that had edited these po- these photos. These weren't Adam or like these pictures weren't coming from Adam. So multiple followers did this and they were all finding out the same thing. So Taylor, I'd like to show you these pictures. I'm looking at it right now. Oh my God. <gasps> Oh, you, I have did, I have to get off this picture. Did you see the one with the yeah. exposure? Yeah. Let me. Oh, y'all, this will be one that we post. Yeah. Absolutely freaking perky. So anyway, after this, Adam decided to invest in some sage. After Twitter Twitter followers suggested it, and he cleansed his apartment on August fourteenth. And he tweets out, "Sage did not work." After staging the apartment, Adam dreamed about David. And he hadn't been dreaming about him in a hot month. Hot minute. Um, Tweet, I haven't dreamed about David in a few months, but he appeared again last night. In the dream, my bedroom was filled with hazy smoke, but I could see David sitting in the chair across the room. He was smaller this time, almost shrunken. He didn't do or say anything except look at me. Anyway, it feels like a bad omen. On August 18th, which is four days after the sage, um, Adam updates that the cat that has been standing at the door 
and he has been doing this for two weeks and he does this every single night at midnight. He is still recording his sleep and around 3 a.m. every night there is about five minutes of the same static he heard the first night he recorded. Adam starts a new thread on August 21st. Tweet, all this ghost stuff has been spooky, but this past weekend was the first time I actually felt unsafe in my home, a thread. So this is three nights prior. Adam falls asleep unexpectedly early and he dreams of David again. Tweet, I had a dream the other night where David was dragging me by the arm through an old abandoned warehouse. I'm not sure why I didn't fight back in the dream or how he was strong enough to pull me, but that's dream logic for you. He said it was a creepy dream. I didn't think much of it, but I, when I woke up, I took a shower and then I noticed something. I'd woken up with a huge bruise on my arm. So he attaches a picture of a purple bruise that's down near his wrist. Every Saturday, um, Adam goes for a walk and gets breakfast. On his journey to the breakfast place, he usually passes a food cart repair depot that is always popping and packed with people until it wasn't. Tweet, I've lived in the neighborhood for over four years, and the place has always been jam-packed with carts getting serviced, but today it was completely abandoned. The whole warehouse was totally gutted and empty. Well, almost empty. I went inside to look around because I was astonished that this place was suddenly empty after all these years. Basically, the only thing in the entire warehouse was a single green chair. Adam attached numerous pictures of the empty warehouse in the chair. Um, the rocking chair that he originally saw David in was green. Anyway, Adam walks back from breakfast and the warehouse was shuttered shut. So on his way to breakfast... Warehouse was open, only green chair in it. It was gutted empty. On his way back, it was shuttered shut, you know, like the metal shutters. Um, four days later, Adam starts a new Twitter thread. Tweet, there have been a few small developments in my apartment, but I'm not really sure what to make of them. I just know I'm scared. A thread. He goes on to talk about how his cats changed up the routine and now both go and meow out the door around 10 p.m. Then they wander off. Excuse me. Around 10.30 or so every night, he starts getting phone calls from an unknown number. He then inserts a screenshot of numerous calls. You know, they're all titled No Caller ID. And all of the calls are read as if he didn't pick them up except for one. So he thought it was automated, but then he picks up the phone. Here's another tweet. This is about four of them. I didn't say anything. I just listened, waiting for some automated message to, chi to chime in. After about a minute, the static stopped and there was silence. I kept listening. I heard what I thought was breathing, but it was so faint I can't be sure. My heart was racing, so it was, so it was hard to hear. Then, just as I was about to hang up, I heard a very small voice whisper, hello. Something about the way they said hello freaked me out. It wasn't a question. It wasn't a greeting. Just hello. A flat statement. So quiet I could barely hear it. I panicked and hung up. I didn't know what else to do. I close all curtains in my apartment and turn on every single light. So the following week, Adam buys a pet monitoring camera or like a nanny cam that a furbo, whatever it is, that you can check whenever because it runs 24-7. Adam was getting ready to go to Japan for three weeks and he had hoped David would lose him again, even though he never really lost him. Um, he moved the rocking chair out of his bedroom and he set up the pet cam. And then he uploads a video that you can clearly see. So he hasn't went to Japan yet, but he uploads a video and you can clearly see the green rocking chair rocking back and forth. There's nobody in the room. 
He uploads yet another video of a turtle shell hanging on his wall, falls to the floor. Again, nobody in this room. On September 5th, a new thread has started. Tweet, it's happening again. He then uploads a video of his cat jumping and freaking out after getting spooked by something invisible. Then, throughout the next night, the same cat was caught standing straight up on his hind legs over and over again, up and down. Weird. Cats don't really do that. Um, he uploads yet another video of a cactus falling off the shelf shortly when Adam walks by it. The cactus was near where the turtle shell had fallen off the wall. September 16th. Adam experiences horrifying nightmares. On the pillow next to him, he saw a severed head with a bloody spine snaking down the bed. He said the head was staring right at him, somehow still alive, with a huge smile. Horrified, he asked, what happened to you? He said the head smiled even bigger and groaned, it feels great. After this dream, he went for another walk. While walking past the warehouse again, he heard a loud thump on the other side of the locked door. He climbed up to a window and snapped a pic. In the photo, he saw a shadow that had an abnormally large yet deformed head. And in the photo, there was an old leather chair, a desk, and some insulation. A Twitter user pointed out that the insulation looked and was shaped exactly like what a severed head with a big smile and slithery spine would look like. Oh my god. <laughs> so, mm, burn the entire warehouse down. I swear. Immediately. So after this occurrence, guys, um, Adam went off to Japan and he had a somewhat relaxing trip. It was David Free until his last day. He was taking pictures of a statue called, sorry if I butcher this, Mori Nuuta. I'm going to read his tweet here too because it shook me. I was taking pictures of this statue from different angles since it's cylindrical. I moved around to one side and I almost dropped my phone at what I saw. It felt too similar to be a coincidence. I felt dizzy staring up at it. This kid with a dented head. Oh my god. <laughs> I know. It's like it's a dented hat. It's a kid with a dented hat. And all like in a statue in all, Japan. All of the other ones are normal. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um So anyway, when David returned, he experienced electricity issues in his home. He also started um slowing down on his tweets, tweeting about once every 2 weeks rather than every day. Light bulbs in the staircase hallway kept burning out within weeks. He had an LED light strip behind his TV that kept turning on and off. After this occurrence, he went to a 24-hour diner just because he couldn't sleep. He went home to shower and get ready before leaving for work that following morning when Adam started hearing scratching noises at his door. Again, he couldn't open it, so he took a picture through the peephole. At first, it looked like a blur and decided to try and analyze it as well as his followers. I'd like to point out that once it's pointed out, once they pointed out the ear, the eye, and the slanted head that you can see in the peephole photo, I couldn't unsee it. In this picture through the peephole was a face that looked exactly like the statue he had seen in Japan. Oh, it does. Yeah, it's freaky. Um, so after this, Adam finally decided to get someone else involved. Honestly, Adam, I don't know why you waited so long, buddy. It's a but... day late and a dollar short, man. Right. He had a friend come over to cleanse his apartment. Activity seemed as if it had stopped as a whole. The cat stopped going over to the door, and Adam stopped having dreams. But then things got freaky again. 
Adam was walking past the warehouse, you know, the original one that fixed the food carts up. It was weirdly emptied after being extremely busy. When he walked by, something shook him. Tweets. This time, all the metal doors were wide open, sunlight pouring in. The warehouse was still mostly empty, except for one thing. There was a hearse parked near the back wall. Yo, why in the fuck? Why in the fuck? Adam attached a picture of the black hearse in the empty warehouse. He also mentioned that maybe it was a weird coincidence because it was a week prior to Halloween, but personally, I don't know about you guys, I've never seen anyone use a hearse as a Halloween like decoration or a Halloween prop. It's so weird. Um, that evening, after seeing the hearse, Adam was drinking a few beers in his apartment. He went to the kitchen to grab a beer when he glanced out his window and he saw a man standing on the roof opposite of his apartment, staring at him. No. Tweet. I immediately ducked down. I reached up and flipped off the light switch. I peered over the window but still couldn't see much. My phone was in my pocket, so I grabbed it and took a photo. It was blurry and dark, but I swear someone was out there. Adam attaches the photo. Of course, it was dark, so you could hardly see anything. But, again, a follower on Twitter messed with it and made, my God, it's the creepiest photo I've ever seen. Oh, my God. There's literally a person standing on the roof looking in his apartment. But with all of these pictures, you can't see anything unless they're exposed. Like, they, you know, they add exposure to it. Oh, my God. Because it's always so dark. So, photos get fucking creepier. About a week later, Adam has another dream. At this point, the green chair was gone, and he saw David sitting in a recliner. He felt paralyzed, but different from the first time. He could move his hands. And as David started walking towards him, Adam, who was still in his dream, grabbed his phone and started taking pictures. Before David reached him, he woke up. When he woke up, he went to grab his phone, and he finds photos no while scrolling through these photos i had to i had to literally turn my brightness down on my laptop and quickly scroll past them because i couldn't get myself to look after i glanced at the first one that was bright that wasn't brightened yet i kid you not i almost started crying taylor i'd like to show you these photos because i haven't seen them yet and then i'd like you to cleanse my fucking soul then i put in an edit at this point guys i tried to scroll through quickly but i glanced because i couldn't help myself and I had I literally FaceTime Taylor today oh, yeah. crying as I was like you need to you need to just pray for me. I've gotta look at these. Okay, waiting room music. Um there was a literal child child With in he... multiple photos. Staring at him, coming closer to him. Absolutely not. Yeah. Oh, oh my god. I don't even know if I want to post these. Like, I don't want them on my Instagram. Oh my god. Well, they'll be on Creeps and Crimes, so. <laughs> oh, I don't want them out there. <laughs> anyway, um, after this, Adam had went quiet for two weeks. Twitter users following the story went crazy, asking if he is even alive. And at this point, a lot of people started to question if this was indeed Adam Legit. being... An extremely good photo editor, or if he was actually being haunted by a child ghost. So, after two weeks, Adam tweets out, For everyone asking, yes, I'm alive. I've been on the quiet side because there's something I'm trying to investigate. I'm not sure how yet. I'd rather not tweet unless I have something substantial to share. 
So this is when Adam came across a part of his apartment that he is just learning about, or so he thought. As a refresher, he lives in a duplex and used to live on the bottom floor, but he had moved to the top floor. Um, Adam starts tweeting about how he has been hearing things above him, which should be the roof, and he noted there was no access to the roof from his building, only a skylight. The sound he heard was something falling to the floor above him. He said his building makes sounds all the time, old pipes, creaks in the walls, stuff, but this sound was new. Tweet. So I'm thinking, is there some secret crawl space in my home? I look all over my apartment, but I can't figure it out, so I go into the hallway, and that's when something dawns on me. There's no real way to ease into this, so I'll just say it. There's a mysterious hatch in my hallway. I've always known about it, but I just assumed it opened up directly to the roof. Posted a picture of the hatch. It's right above the staircase. He never thought anything of it because he thought it led to the roof, but then he starts looking around, and he noticed the skylight next to it. After a quick Google Earth search, um, Adam finds a skylight to lie flat on the roof. The hatch, though, is about three feet below the skylight, meaning that there is three feet of crawl space that is unaccounted for, which would go directly over his apartment. So then he proceeds to upload a new map to his apartment and added three feet of empty space all above his current unit. Adam wanted to investigate the crawl space, so he ordered a pole, kind of like a... You know, like, an, it was really high up. Like, yeah. he couldn't get to it without a ladder. He didn't have a ladder, so he just ordered, like, this big, long pole. At this point, it's Thanksgiving, and the pole wasn't arriving until the day after. So, Friday after Thanksgiving. So, he left town, and he came back, but got back late, and he decided that he would look into the crawl space Saturday morning. So, it'll just be easier for me to read Adam's next few tweets. Tweet, I'd barely fallen asleep when I woke up to an incredibly loud crash above me. It sounded like someone had dropped a bowling ball. I bolted upright in bed and immediately felt strange. There was a weird energy all around me. I can't explain it. After about a minute, I heard another crash. I briefly thought about grabbing my shoes and booking it, but that would mean passing under the hatch, and that seemed like a bad idea. So instead, I just listened and waited, though I'm not sure for what. The crash happened again and then again, probably 15 times in a row, followed by a long silence. Then I heard a smaller, creaky sound from the hallway. In my mind, I registered it as a footstep, but it could have been anything. I stayed, I stayed still, but there were no more sounds after that. I lie back down, still tense and nervous, but I must have fallen asleep at some point because I woke up the next morning. Everything seemed normal again. I got dressed, left to go get a bagel, same as every Saturday. So, as Adam's walking outside to walk down the steps to go get his bagel, he notices debris lying right underneath the hatch on the staircase. He tweets, at this point, bagels were the last thing on my mind. I went back upstairs and grabbed the pole, set my camera on the coat wardrobe at the top of the stairs and hit record, just to make sure it'd be caught on video if a demon bursts out the hatch. He posted the video. You want to know what fell out? What? A small black leather shoe. <gasps> a child's shoe, to be specific. Adam then calls his landlord, who brought a ladder out. The landlord came, went up in the crawl space, looked around, and found nothing. Except for a small marble. A small green marble. Ooh. An old green marble. So now in the story, we have a green rocking chair, a green warehouse chair, a green turtle shell that fell off the wall, a green cactus that fell off the shelf, and now a green marble from the crawl space. Mm-mm. Adam then ends his thread by saying he is keeping the marble and the shoe on his dresser. Inside his apartment. Excuse me, sir. Maybe put it back. Adam. Don't disrupt. Adam. 
Two, Adam, uh, <laughs> two weeks go by and Adam tweets nothing. He says nothing has really happened. He feels sleepy all day and gets sudden bouts of dizziness through the night. He's having weird dreams all night, but he can never pinpoint on what happened in them. Adam proceeds to download an app that takes pictures every 60 seconds. No, Adam, no. He sets it up on his bookcase so that you can view him sleeping in the chair David usually shows it, shows up in at night. Except he sleeps with the light on so that the pictures aren't so dark. He posts the pictures, and honestly, guys, the story just keeps getting worse and worse. Um, most pictures were of Adam sleeping in an empty room until the end. So I'm just kind of going to read through pictures in order that he got them on his phone. First picture. David is pictured sitting on the chair, staring at David. Then, he's staring up at the ceiling in the next photo. My Siri just went off. <laughs> no. I then, he looks as if, um, David looks as if he's collapsed into his own lap, still on the chair. The next photo, David is gone. The next photo, he is standing at the end of the bed, staring at David. In the next photo, David is standing on the bed, inches from Adam's face, staring down at him. The next photo, David is still standing on the bed, but now staring directly at the camera. And the next photo, David's face is inches away from the camera. You can see his stringy hair, his deformed ear. Twitter followers pointed out that it looks as if he had moved the camera, David. I'm sorry. It looks as if David had like picked up the camera and moved it, but again, it's only captures every 60 seconds. So Taylor, I want to show you these. Okay. Oh, oh no. Oh, y'all, you can see like the strands of hair. Like he's literally like you can see his ear. Like you can you can see everything. And he's like standing on the bed, looking down at Adam as he's sleeping. And it was at this point that like I, you would have to be a master editor. To come up with something like this. This is crazy. Honestly. And so quickly. He does it so quickly. Right. So, David tweets that he is going to go back home to Montana for the holidays. At this point, it's upcoming Christmas, New Year's Eve. Um, he says that he's been looking for new apartments in New York, and he thought going home for Christmas would be relaxing. He could finally get some sleep because he's, at this point, just sleep-deprived. But no. Spoiler alert. David followed him. No. Sorry, I said again, David tweets. Adam tweets. Okay, everybody, it's 10, 18 p.m. Uh-huh. This has to be posted in two hours. <laughs> just just ride with us, okay? <laughs> okay, Adam tweets. But after a few days, I started to feel strange again. He's on Montana, guys. One night I got up to go to the bathroom, and as I stood there in the dark, I couldn't help feeling like there was something outside the bathroom window. The bathroom window overlooked the backyard. The yard was covered in snow. But David found something in the snow. Tiny human footprints. No. At this point, Adam, I said David again. Adam found something in the snow. snow. Okay. Tiny human footprints. Why Why are the names so similar? They're not, are they? No. At this point, Adam realizes the apartment is not haunted, but he is haunted. He returns home and starts tweeting about what happened to him over New Year's. At this point, he's back at his apartment in New York. Adam reported feeling sick and having nightmares all night. He would dream of David hovering in the corner by the ceiling, far off the ground. He said David was mouthing something, but he couldn't hear the words. At this point, Adam is still using the picture app. Each morning, he looks in his camera roll and sees nothing. On January 2nd, Adam tweets, Then he was hovering above my bed, staring down at me. 
his mouth moving faster than it should be. I couldn't move. I could only look up at him. Suddenly, he plummeted downward, and I felt this huge pressure crash into my chest. I woke up gasping. The wind completely knocked out of me. I sat up and looked around frantically, heaving for air, but there was nothing. When I caught my breath, I retrieved my phone from the dresser. The photo roll showed nothing of note, save for the last photo, taken just a moment before the Jersey Mike's is getting to me. <laughs> my burping. <laughs> the picture showed David falling from the ceiling right onto Adam's chest, just like his dream. Oh, no. You want to see it? Yeah. You have to see it. Two weeks go by. Adam's quiet. He returns saying things are better, that he's sleeping through the night again, and he hasn't had any weird dreams. He tweets, I've been sleeping fine, and I have lots of energy during the day, but sometimes I seem to sort of lose time, I guess. Like, I'll look up at the clock and realize a whole hour has gone by, and I don't remember any of it. Um, loss of time is a sign of possession. Oh, great. Love that. At this time, Adam posted an Instagram story of what he thought was a normal picture out to brunch with a friend of his. But how other people saw it was glitched out, and it looked like David's face was over Adam's. No. His tweet mentions blew up, and he tweeted, I have no clue what happened. It looked perfectly fine when I uploaded it. And he actually sent in a screenshot of, like, what his story looked like from his phone. I'd say it was just a glitch, but I can't make sense of what's happening with my face. Well, maybe I can. I know what it looks like, what it probably is, but I don't know if I care anymore. I really just want things to be normal again, and things finally feel normal enough right now. I don't know. I guess I'll keep you updated if something else happens. Followers concluded at this point that Adam had been possessed. He wasn't heard from for weeks, and he randomly would post a video of his cat meowing at the door, which this behavior, according to Adam, had stopped months ago. The video was weird and not what Adam usually posted. The angle was from the floor, and David's face appeared to be superimposed over the cat. Um, on February 3rd, Adam tweets, Everything is fine. Users tore apart this tweet. Usually, Adam is good about grammar, capital letters, punctuation, but this was all written in lowercase, no punctuation, and really weird extra spaces between the letters. A few weeks later, Adam tweets a personal update, that he is leaving BuzzFeed to focus on his other projects. This tweet thread, it was three tweets, had also included weird spaces between the letters and unusual grammar that... Adam had been tweeting for five, four or five months prior, and it was all perfectly punctuated mm -hmm. and grammatically correct. Um, after this, the story stalled. David's Twitter returned to normal. And that is the story of Dear David. Oh. And then news broke out that Dear David movie was in the works. Which, I, you said there was something on Netflix? Yeah, I think it said something about, um, on Netflix that there's a documentary about it. Um, but... I don't know. I was just reading on Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guys. Um, this this story is fun. That is crazy. That's freaky. I'm so happy you covered it, though, because I listened to it forever ago, but mm -hmm. never... Forgot about it. Forgot all about it. And, like, I, follow, I feel like I remember following it, like, as it was happening. See, I remember following it. I or remember watching it. the videos of the cats. I remember mm -hmm. that. Yeah. I don't remember any of the stuff about, like... The shoe. The shoe or him falling into his chest. Like, right. I don't remember any of that. Right, me either. But, yeah, if you guys, like, follow this along, let us know on, like, our, our Instagram yeah, post. Like, comment on it and be like, I follow the story or something. Just I'm just curious to see. Um, 
I think Adam's possessed. <laughs> Especially his whole demeanor change, his behavior change. He, yeah, he's possessed. He should probably go see a um, medium. I don't know why they he wouldn't have brought in like someone really. Well, I I wonder if his friend that he brought in to Sage is a medium. Like I would just like someone to go and like confirm that like yes there is a spirit here or yes you have a spirit attached to you. Right, I want to know because a too. lot of people question the story. I'm sure. Well, this is something we can do afterwards, and we can talk about it in our next episode. Uh, in episode eleven, we'll just revisit it if we remember to. Um, but let's look and see if there was ever an update. Um, like if the movie ever came out, I wonder if he talks about like his life now. Yeah, I wonder. In it. So, we'll see. All right, Taylor, what do you got for us? So, today I'm going to be covering the murder of Lacey Peterson. Oh, I know this one. Right. So, pretty much everybody um, knows this one because this is the very first case that had ever been completely torn apart by the media. Okay, so um, before I start into this, I'm going to give you guys my sources. It is the um, Wikipedia, um, scottpetersonappeal.org, nbcnews.com, ThoughtCo, ABC News, CBS News. Um, I used a few YouTube videos from the ABC Good Morning America um, interview with Diane Sawyer and um, the Hulu documentary about the murder and trial um, that followed her murder of Lacey Peterson. And also I listened to Crime Junkies podcast um, about it. So um, I'm going to be breaking this up into two parts because it is such a long story with very intricate details. And also because of how big this story is with the media. It's very important that I give you guys all of the, um, everything. So, right. So this is going to be my very first two-parter and I'm excited about it. So this story is literally what started the journey to create creeps and crimes. So (laughs) during quarantine, I watched all of the Hulu um, documentaries about it, and I started a private Snapchat story that was called TJ Wannabe Vlog, and I added people that, I was like, these are my, this is my, like, no no judgment zone right here, and so I got on there, and I just was like, I'm just going to get on here and talk, because I was so wanting to, I wanted to start using my platform that I have to, like, I don't know for entertainment. And so I used this first because I was just honestly too shy to do anything big. And so I added these people and I got so much good feedback. So by the time quarantine was original, you know, the original quarantine was semi over and I came back to Knoxville. I started working with Morgan on, uh, creeps and crimes. So now you have us (laughs) and now you have to listen to us every Thursday. Um, so this is the infamous story of, um, the murder of Lacey Peterson, but this story heavily relies on the timeline. So I'm going to be going day by day, um, and giving you specific dates. So just pay close attention and listen to make sure, um, that you're getting this timeline down. So here's just a very short background story. 
Scott and Lacey, for the people that don't that don't know, so Scott and Lacey met in 1994 through a friend. They dated for about two years before moving in together, and on August 9th, 1997, they got married, and in 2000, they moved um, to Lacey's hometown of Modesto, California. So... 27-year-old Lacey disappeared in late 2002, and at this time, the 24-hour news cycle had just begun. So this is the first time in history, y'all, that we're seeing news channels be on, uh, or like news reports go on throughout the night and all day long. Before this, it was only like scheduled times that um, you could listen to the news, other than like radio, obviously. So this is big, and the reason why it is so specific to the stories because the media shaped this entire story. So, um, a lot of people are immediately like Scott did it. Okay. And it, it's that's what I've always thought. right until, and it's because that that's what the media told us from the day one, from day one. So I'm interested to give this, um, non-biased view of it. And I'm going to tell you from both sides. So this is going to be from what we were seeing in the news and hearing in the court documents. And I've gone through so many court documents this week. I'm like, I literally can't look at this computer any longer. I'm getting nauseous. So, um, here we go. So it's December 23rd, 2002. And this is the day before Lacey went missing. So it's 5.45, Scott and Lacey, p.m. Scott and Lacey went to Lacey's sister's hair salon, and Scott got his hair cut. At this appointment, Scott offered to pick up a fruit basket for Amy, Lacey's sister, and um, that she had ordered for their grandfather for the next day. So at 8.30 p.m., Lacey spoke with her mother on the phone, Sharon, and she's talking about Christmas Eve dinner that they had planned for the next day, and... um. She gets off the phone with her mom. She gets ready for bed, and she's watching a movie with Scott. And then she falls asleep. They both fall asleep around 10.30 p.m. So the next morning on August 24th, 2002, and this is the day that Lacey went missing. So all of this from here on is from the account of her husband, Scott Peterson. It's Christmas Eve, and it's 7.30 p.m. Lacey woke up and ate breakfast immediately because it would help her not get so nauseous in the mornings. So Scott woke up after her around 8.30, and Lacey told Scott her entire plans for the day. She planned on mopping, walking the dog, then going to the store to get some stuff for a meal that she had planned with her mother for Christmas Eve dinner. At 8.40 a.m., Lacey logged on, to, and this is from court documents, like we can see it. Um, Lacey logged on to the computer in the spare bedroom, while Scott was in the shower, and she searched for a red Gap scarf and a sunflower umbrella stand before logging off at 8.45 a.m. At 9.45 a.m. or so, Scott says that they were sitting on the couch together watching Martha Stewart make lemon meringue cookies on the Today Show. About a few minutes after this, um, Lacey got up and wanted to start mopping. So Scott got up and filled up the mop bucket for her, carried it to her because she was eight months pregnant with her firstborn, with their firstborn son, Connor. He then began loading up his truck to go fishing on his brand new fishing boat. And it's about a nine minute drive from their house to a warehouse where he kept all, 
his boat, and it's kind of like his little workshop office. So he. I know, right? So he was a fertilizer uh, fertilizer salesperson, okay? And so he would constantly, like, this is where he was storing the fertilizer and all this stuff. So at 10.08 a.m., Scott checks his voicemail box that he had, um, and he noticed that he had received a message from his boss while he was driving to the warehouse. So he listens to the message. He gets to the warehouse, and there are records showing um, that... He logged onto his computer and sent an email at 10.30 a.m. to his boss before looking up instructions on how to assemble a tool that he had received in the mail a few days prior. And he was on his computer actively until 10.56 p.m. So right after this, there's about 20 minutes that are unaccounted for. And it's from 10.57 p.m. to 11.17 p.m. However, later on, when they revisited the warehouse after Lacey's disappearance, this tool had been completely assembled. So it's possible that he was putting the tool together at this part, part um, sorry, this point in time. So he hooks the bow up to his truck and leaves the warehouse for Berkeley Marina, where he gets a ticket at 12.54 p.m. saying that he was good to put the boat in the water and park his car. And this is accurate because it was about a 90-minute drive to the um, marina from the warehouse. So, as I said, he gets a ticket at 1245, um, 12.54, sorry, p.m., and he puts the boat in the water. So, he gets all this done. He gets a boat in the water from 12.55 p.m., to, and he's fishing until 2.11 p.m. Many witnesses saw him, and he's got, like, a 15-foot fishing boat, and people saw him put it in the water and get out of the water, and this is how we got this timeline. So, he got into the car, hooked the boat up, and drove back to the warehouse to drop off his boat, where he calls Lacey to let her know that he was on his way home. And there's a voicemail recording, and this is what the voicemail says. Hey, beautiful. I just left you a message at home. It's 2.15. I'm leaving Berkeley Marina. I won't be I won't be able to get to Vela Farms in time to get the basket for Papa. I was hoping that you would get this message and go on out there. I'll see you in a bit, sweetie. Love you. Bye. He continues driving before stopping for gas, where he calls Lacey again. She didn't answer. He arrives at his warehouse at 4.13 p.m., where he puts the boat away, checks his fax machine before heading home. Scott arrives home between 4.30 and 4.45 when he realizes that Lacey's car was in the driveway, but Lacey wasn't home. And their dog, Mackenzie, was in the backyard with his leash still on and connected to his collar. Scott says at this point he was just he just thought that Lacey went with her mom and they went to go run a few errands because she had said she needed to run to the store. So... Either way, he's just not too concerned because she's a grown woman and he doesn't have any reason to be concerned, really. So he goes back inside after um, getting the dog and bringing the dog in. And he realizes that the dirt, the dirty mop water had been left um, by Lacey for him to dump out because she's not supposed to pick it up. She's eight months pregnant. So he dumps out the dirty mop water and he throws his clothes into the washer and then hops into the shower. Now, this is huge because everybody immediately is like, okay, this is the proof that he did it. But in his defense, he's a fertilizer salesperson, as I said before. 
And because of this, there's a lot of chemicals in his warehouse. And he's got a super pregnant wife at home. So he has to shower. Right. And also, he had been fishing. So his clothes smell like fish. Right. Right. And on top of that, they're wet because he's been fishing a 15-foot fishing boat, you know? So he gets out of the shower and he realizes that there are two um, unlistened to messages on the answering machine. One of them was him telling Lacey that he was on his way home from the marina. And the second one was from Ron. This is Lacey's stepfather. And she's asking if Lacey and Scott would pick up whipped cream when they're on their way over um, later that day for dinner. At approximately 5.15 p.m., Scott calls Ron and he asks if Lacey is with them. And they say no. Immediately, Lacey's parents rush over and they begin knocking on neighbors' doors, calling friends and family before heading out to the park where Mackenzie and Lacey were supposed to be walking that morning, just in case Lacey had fallen or gotten injured. Hoping Mackenzie would lead them to her, Scott took Mackenzie with him. So, while this is happening, Sharon, Lacey's mom, begins calling all the hospitals And this is when they find out that one of the neighbors had found Mackenzie walking outside alone and she had put the dog into the backyard because no one answered the door. So at 5.47 p.m., Ron, Lacey's stepfather, who had raised her from the time that she was three years old, calls 911 and reports Lacey is missing. At 6.50 p.m., Modesto, Modesto police arrive at the house where they are led in to the house by Scott without a warrant. The detective um, that was on the scene, and what the reason why I say without a warrant is because that comes back later. So, the detective that was on the scene was Al Broken, or Brokini, I'm sorry, and apparently he immediately says that something's off about Scott. Scott gives him a full rundown about what had happened that day and the day before, everything that I just told you. And then an investigation begins, and so he starts, inter- he gets interrogated. And they're just asking him questions, not really an interrogation, but he gets interviewed and they're just like, you know, tell us what's going on. Would she want it to have run away? Does she have any enemies? Like, is y'all's marriage okay? How's your family life? And Scott's like, we have a great marriage. We love each other very much. He tells them that they have a baby on the way and everything was normal. They were so excited. They'd spent the whole morning together. And he tells them about watching, you know, Martha Stewart making these lemon ring cookies And no matter what he said, they all felt like something was off. Now, I'm reading on like different, also Reddit's one of my um, sources. (laughs) Um, I'm reading on here and there's like comments from Scott's friends and family and they're like, honestly, like he's just kind of a doucher. Like he's just got like a doucher vibe. And he's just, like, a really calm demeanor person. But, you know, the police are like, when your wife, Life who's missing. eight months pregnant, is missing, like, we've got to be, you know, we got to look. Yeah, exactly. And Scott's family's like, well, you don't want to think that your wife's not coming home. You just want to think that maybe she's talking, you know, like, a friend picked her up or something. So, so now it's the next day, a.k.a. the worst Christmas ever, and there's still no sign of Lacey. So the police call Scott, and they ask him to take a polygraph, and he agrees. Um, he, so he goes to get ready to head into the station, and he's, like, on the phone with Lacey's family and his family, and he's telling them what he's about to go do. And they kind of discourage him from taking it because he didn't have a lawyer yet, 
And they said, like, this could literally infect the, affect the entire case and make you look like a suspect if you have any anything off. And they're like, and on top of this, Scott, like, you literally haven't slept at all since, like, literally two days ago. So this is just probably not smart until we have some, like, legal help. So Scott calls the police back, and he tells them the deal. And he says he'll take one as soon as he gets a lawyer and runs it through them first. The next day, December 26, 2002, is when the media comes in. They come in, and they grab this case, and they run with it. So, remember what I said before about the 24-hour news cycle. On top of that, there is just a lot, there's just not a lot of stuff going on around Christmas. Like, you can report on, like, sales and stuff, but not enough to fill 24 hours worth of stuff. So, this was amazing for them. So, like I said, media comes in, snatches this up. Because of this, the Petersons' front porch become front yard front porch becomes this giant media hub drawing a lot of attention at this house so tons and tons of people are coming forward now with all this information and tips about what they saw when they saw Lacey last on her walk and there was like literally over a hundred people said that they saw her walking the dog that day so Lacey's family goes to the police with all this, all the names, all the information of the people that came forward and gave them tips about seeing Lacey. However, there was no formal report that came out about it during this trial, leading me to believe that the police kind of got a tunnel vision for Scott and the media was not helping. So the police asked Scott if they can conduct a formal search of the house and they said that they will mark and collect evidence and fingerprint the entire property. So, like I said, this is still on the 26th. So, the media is there. And now the police are asking if they can come do a search, a formal, formal search of the house. So, according to media reports that came out that day, Scott denied them access and they had to serve him with a search warrant. However, according to Scott and the family... Scott told the police that he didn't mind at all if they searched his property, but he just wanted to run it through his attorney first. However, the attorney didn't get back with them in enough time, and so the police just got a warrant and served him with it at 5 o'clock p.m. Which looks bad. Right, it looks really bad on his part. So they conducted this extensive search of the house, and... They don't really find anything, and of the warehouse, but they don't really find anything except for, I think, it was at the warehouse, there was a strand of Lacey's hair in, like, besides some, like, rusted pliers or, like, in these, like, rusted shut pliers. But then I'm like, okay, if you walk in my husband's office, right, you're th- my hair's gonna be there. Yeah. My hair's everywhere. You know, your hair is everywhere. everywhere. (laughs) Your hair is probably in my husband's office. (laughs) Yeah, probably. My hair is everywhere. Exactly. So I'm a murder suspect in case anybody I know goes down. Exactly. So all the news is about Scott because he didn't want anything to do with the media. And so they're like, they're like dying to get him. So they're just doing, you know, everything about Scott, trying to figure out everything there is about Scott. And it's just like, literally it's going crazy at this point. And this, something to know is no matter what they reported, they wouldn't, if it was a wrong report, 
they didn't formally ever retract it at this time. Mm-hmm. So it's early 2002, you know, early 2000s. And 24 News Cycle's brand new. And so... They're yeah. And so they're not really, like, retracting all the things that are false. So that's just a side note. So, like I said, all the news is about Scott because he didn't really want anything to do with the media. Now, this can be interpreted in two ways. So, the first way it can be interpreted is if he gets on camera and basically pleads for Lacey to come back um, or for them to bring Lacey back, then it might be what gets her back. But if he doesn't, he isn't showing enough support for the case in the search for Lacey. But then, at the same time, like, the argument to that could be, well, if he gets on there and like freaks out too bad, then whoever's holding her could possibly put her up for ransom and this go on for much longer and turn into like a huge hostage situation. Um, number two is if he gets on camera, it might distract people from the actual case. And then she may be, like I said, be held for ransom, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So despite all of the negativity that's in the media about Scott, Lacey's family is standing firm beside him, supporting him and urging the police to just stop focusing on Scott and stop tunnel visioning and find Lacey because they still had high, high hopes that she was still alive at this point. On December 30th, the police released that they are closing a case that had been reported directly across the street from the Petersons. Apparently, no one had heard about this at this point. So here's the case. Apparently, the police, I mean, sorry, the people that lived directly across the street from the Petersons were out of town for Christmas. And when they returned, they realized that their house had been robbed. They reported it to the police and the police interviewed the neighboring houses. And through this, they found a witness. The witness reported that there was they were driving through the neighborhood when they saw two men in the front yard with a safe who looked very suspicious. So the police, using the description of the two men that um, the witness gave, were able to track down these two men. Turns out they had taken a safe from inside of the house that they were robbing directly across the street from the Petersons and put it in the front yard, put it into the car, robbed the rest of the house and then left. So the police went to arrest these men, and the first thing the men said were, we didn't do anything to the pregnant girl. As I said before, this is on the 30th that the press release comes out, and the police announced that they have closed this case, and that the robbery took place on December 26th. So you're telling me that all of the people in the front yard, all of the police that are doing a search didn't scare these people. So all these the reports media. come out. Right. So all of these reports come out and the media is like, that is literally impossible because we sat here all day on the 26th. And if something was suspicious happening right across the street, we would have literally seen it. it they, they were in the front yard of this house. Now, you have all of the media telling the police that they're wrong because they would have seen it. And then the police that entire day on the 25th were literally knocking on doors, like interviewing everybody because it was the day after Lacey had been reported missing. They were knocking on every door, 
swarming the house, searching the house, everything. And you're telling me that these robbers would have been comfortable with doing it on the 25th or the 26th? Yeah, no. No, absolutely not. So this robbery had to have happened on the 24th, the day that Lacey went missing. Right after this press conference comes out, the police receive a phone call from a woman named Amber Fry. Amber Fry was a 27-year-old massage therapist and a single mother living in Fresno, California. And she is Scott Peterson's girlfriend. Oh, shit. (laughs) She had no idea that he was married or even really what his last name was until she saw his photo in the news. So here's the story about how Amber and Scott met. Amber's best friend, Sean Sibley, had met Scott at a business conference in October of 2002, where Scott had told her that he was single and wanted to find a very intelligent woman to have a long-term relationship with, which is when Sibley gave Peterson her best friend's number, a.k.a. Amber Fry. In early November, Peterson called Fry, and they set up a date to meet for dinner and drinks later on November 20th, 2002. On December 9th, 2002, Scott told Amber that he had been married but lost his wife. And since it would be his first Christmas without his wife, he would be going to Paris for Christmas and New Year's. The police keep this completely confidential and do not tell anybody. Not even him? No. So they ask Amber if she would be a spy for them, and she agrees to it. So they put a recording device on Amber's phone that would activate when anytime she's talking to Scott. So from that day forward, everything was recorded, and she had to act like she had no idea what was going on in the news, so that way Scott would keep talking. Now, it's... How far, how far is, where was she? Like, how far did she live from? It's like, literally on the map is like from, I don't even want to say Knoxville to Chattanooga. Like, literally, like, maybe Knoxville to Charleston. Yeah, or Sweetwater. Like, maybe 45 minutes. You're right. Like, literally, maybe 45 minutes. How could she even act like that? Oh, because she she literally wins, like, actress of the year after all this. This this shit's crazy, dude. All right. I'm ready. So she agrees to it. They put the recording device on. So now it's December 31st, 2002, New Year's Eve, and Lacey's parents hold a candlelight vigil for Lacey. Two things happen here that change the entire course of the case. Number one, a picture is taken of Scott holding a candle and laughing, and this is plastered over every magazine, every news channel, everywhere. And this picture is literally, like I said, swarming the country. But then his sister says, no, he was getting a, he was laughing at something that his niece said. And they just zoomed in on Scott. Like everybody was laughing because his niece said something funny. So here's the second thing that happens. There's a call to Amber Fry from Scott. And it's literally minutes before he is to step on the stage and plead for his wife and unborn son, Connor, to be returned safely to his family. At the candlelight. At the candlelight. So in this phone call that we have a recording of right before he gets on the stage, um, he's telling Amber that he is walking around Paris. Um, the You know, the New Year's just happened over there. And so he was... There was fireworks in the Eiffel Tower, and he's just looking at people and laughing and saying everybody's drunk. (laughs) Keep in mind, 
No one knows about this but the police, not even Lacey's family. So he's just like off in the distance on the phone, giggling and laughing and talking to his girlfriend while he's at a candlelight vigil. For his yes. missing wife. Literally. Unborn baby. Yeah. So a few days go by, and it's now January 6th. Um, Scott calls Amber, and out of the blue, he admits that he's been lying to her and tells her everything about the case. And this recording is just chilling. Like, y'all have to go listen to it. it. Yeah, I'll play it for you. No, definitely I'll play it for you. Oh, my God. Yeah. Guys, in the recording, can I tell them what he said? Yeah, He literally said she was like, you told me your wife was dead. When we, what, when we met? In, early in, in early December. Early in December. And he was like, no, she's alive. And she's like, where? Yeah. And he's like, in Modesto. Is that where they live? Yeah. Okay. And he, she's like, I, I don't understand. It's, like I said, Amber Fry wins actress, like, yeah. of the year, of the, of the century. So, um... Like we said, it's chilling. It's hard to listen to because it, I don't know. It's crazy. Um, but don't forget, he has no idea that she's with working with the police. Or even that the police know that she exists. Right. So he still thinks that the police think that he's just like this perfect husband, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So... January 14th comes, and the National Enquirer calls the police station and lets them know that they have a photo of Amber and Scott, and it had been sent in of them at a Christmas party, and this is the photo that everybody knows. This photo is plastered everywhere. She's sitting in his lap in a chair, and he's got a Santa Claus hat on. She's in a red dress. And right beside the photo when they ran it that same night, um, so he's in Fresno with her, with Amber, that same night there's a picture of Lacey pregnant by herself sitting alone at a Christmas party that he didn't come to with her. Instead, he's cheating on her. Oh, my God. It's pitiful. We'll post those. Um, So the police are like, okay, you're going to run this. Thanks for the heads up. Um, we've got to let, you know, Lacey's family know. They can't figure this out from a freaking news story. So immediately they call Lacey's mother and stepfather and they have them come in. They sit her parents down and they tell them everything about how they've known since December 30th and how they've been using Amber as a spy. But they can't, she can't, they can't tell anybody. It has to be a top secret thing. But they can talk about the affair. The first thing Lacey's mother says is, why did he have to kill her? Amber comes out and does a press conference and tells her side of the story. I had no idea that he was married. I had no idea about this. I saw it on, you know, news channels. Like, it blew my mind. She was like, I was sitting there and I was putting two and two together, blah, blah, blah. But what's crazy is after this press conference, Scott calls Amber and he tells her over and over again how proud he is of her. So proud that she came forward with the information and was honest. 
Now that all this information about Amber is out and she's in the public eye, it's Scott's turn. So Scott decides to do his first one-on-one interview with a few local channels and then with Diane Sawyer. (laughs) (laughs) He went from like little leagues to big leagues really quick. Real quick. So, in the interview, he's explaining his reasoning for staying out of the media. He basically says that he just wanted it to all be about Lacey. He wanted her photo to be plastered everywhere, not his. He wanted it to be all over the country because he wanted people to find her. He wanted his wife to be found. And not to worry about his actions because he doesn't matter. This is about finding his wife. And all the media wanted to do was make it about him. And then what he says in the Diane Sawyer interview changes everything again. So first he tells her that he had never lied to police about the state of their marriage. And then he says that the police knew about this affair. He was upfront about it. And then he says Lacey knew about it. And she was upset, but it wasn't something that they were going to break their marriage and family apart for. That they were going to work on it. Now, that's not even the biggest part of this interview. It's this one phrase that changes the entire view of all the people that were on his side before now. He says, talking about how much he loves Lacey and he's always loved Lacey and how he just wants her to come home safely. He says, Lacey was... Amazing. I mean, is amazing. Oh, shit. And that is part one of the Lacey Peterson trial. The Holy murder. shit. Yeah. No way. Mm-hmm. So, the next... I mean, right now, ending at that story, I still think Scott Peterson murdered his wife. Yeah. It's... I don't know, man. I don't know. Because, and when we go through the trial, it'll make a ton more sense. So I can't really say much about it Mm -hmm. as to why I don't know that Scott did it necessarily. So that is part one. Now, part two is going to start off with such a bang a jaw dropper. A jaw dropper. A jaw dropper. <laughs> that it's going to literally shake you to your core. So wait till next week and. It's in the microwave, huh? Yeah. <laughs> wait till next week and we will hit you guys up with part two of the Lacey Peterson. Thanks for hanging murder. on. What's our time check? It is 117. Woo! Big. Right. If you are still listening to this, I know they are. We just told some bomb stories. I ain't never gonna stop loving you, bitch. <laughs> I don't know. People always are asking us to do longer episodes. We say that every time. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, guys, thanks so much for tuning in. If you don't already, follow us on Creeps and Crimes podcast on Instagram. Um, you can make sure you're subscribed to us and you're downloading the episodes. Sometimes you have to redo it. And giving us stars and telling your friends love you you guys are the best love you guys i'll be posted in 45 minutes so hi wait happy december and happy birthday mom happy happy birthday tanya i texted her today i said 
I was blah, 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 you know, your regular birthday post. Thank you for all you do. You do so much for me. You're the best. And I said, I ain't never going to stop loving you, bitch. bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, so happy birthday, mama. Um, Yeah, so. You're a rock star. I hope you loved this episode. I didn't say, what? You just did. She ruined it. Of course you did. I, did. I had to ruin it. All right. All right. Peace um, out, y'all. See you in 45 minutes when you listen to this. <laughs> Happy we are that. horrible people. Oh, my God. We didn't even post hints. <laughs> we didn't even post on Instagram today. Sorry, guys. Uh, here's the post. Fuck a hint. <laughs> Love you. Fuck a hint. I'm going to try to be the...